Amen. Good morning. My name is Alex. I am one of the pastors here at our Lake Orion campus. Uh, so welcome to you. If you're joining us online, warm welcome to you as well. You gotta love living in Michigan, right? Where one weekend it's you're sleeping in an igloo and the next weekend it's 50 degrees. Uh, but never fear, everybody. Don't worry. We live in Michigan. Tomorrow it's supposed to be in the low 30s. Um, so hopefully you are having a great weekend already. This morning uh, I get to deliver our message today. Um, Our church has been going through, if you've been with us, we've been going through a sermon series called What Now? We've been looking specifically at Matthew 24. Uh, If you're joining us for the very first time today, uh, the reason why we're going through this series, the reason why we're choosing to talk about these things is because 2020 really kind of revealed to a lot of us that there's a little bit of uncertainty about what the future holds. There's a little bit of perspective, a little bit of, of um, just question mark of what is really happening, what is really going on in the world around us. And it's, it has um, festered up in every aspect of the world, and especially in the church. Does this have any forbearance for us in the future? What is this saying about, uh, is Jesus coming back? What is all of this going to happen? When is all of it going to happen? And so today, we're gonna try to answer all your questions. That's a joke, all right? Uh, (laughs) But what we are going to do is we're going to point you towards God's word. As best as we're able to do, we're able to go to the text and we're able to say, this is what God's word says. This is what we want to remind you of. So um, our passage today, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out and turn to Matthew 24. But kind of a quick catch up for context. Matthew 24, we see Jesus talking to his disciples. And they had just walked out of the city of Jerusalem. They're going up to Mount Olive, uh, the Mount of Olives. And they look back and they see the city of Jerusalem and they see on the cityscape the temple of God. The temple for modern day or for ancient times, that was a gigantic building. It dominated the skyline. It was something that was impressive. And it was the place that every Jew went to to go and make sacrifices, to speak to the Lord because the most holy of holies, um, all of these things were located there in the temple of God. And the disciples asked Jesus, hey, what what is going to happen? What is going to happen? And then Jesus goes into what we call this discourse, the Olivia discourse. I'm going to say a lot of big words today. And if you want to feel really smart in front of your peers this week, you can use those words. If you want people to leave you alone, you can also use those words and people will stay far away from you. But they deal with something, what this passage deal, deals with is something called eschatology. That is the study of future events, the study of the future. And what we see Jesus do throughout the entire chapter, chapter 24, is he gives historical fulfillments and he also gives eschatological or future things that are going to happen. And that's what we're going to look at today. And as followers of Jesus, we're going to come across things from time to time as we jump into God's word that don't always matter make sense. And just because they don't make sense on the first glance doesn't mean that it's wrong, nor does it mean that there's something wrong with you. Instead, what it should do is it should lead you and guide you towards a place to say, how do I become a better student of God's word? And that's our big idea for today, that we rely on God's unchanging word. We rely on God's unchanging word. This book right here, it's our roadmap. This is the thing that guides us for all things. 
This is the book. That's our framework. It sets things up for us to interpret what is going on around us well. It, it is our, our blueprint, I guess you could say, for how we intentionally pursue how to imitate Jesus in our daily life. At Woodside, we have something called a statement of faith. Every church, most churches have a statement of faith. If you go to a church that don't have a statement of faith, call me and I'll help you find their statement of faith. But our church, we have one. You can go to the newly designed website. You go look under it, under about, and you can read what kind of our key pillar, our key doctrines are that we have as a church. And these are things that we're kind of close-fisted on, meaning we don't move. We don't budge on those. We see this clearly in Scripture. It's defined very clearly, black and white, in Scripture multiple times about key doctrines of our faith. And all of it revolves around the reality of what it is to be a Christ follower, to be saved, to understand what, uh, what it is to be a part of the church, to understand God's kingdom, but also to understand our view of the Bible, the Bible, which is infallible, it is um, inerrant, meaning there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing untrue about it. And let's start there and let's be reminded of that as we dive into this discourse. This is something, uh, this chapter has been hotly debated for centuries. And I've got 30 minutes to tell you everything in the last part of this chapter. It's going to be really fun and exciting, okay? The first group, they're actually all in the overflow room. There's, they stayed second for a second hour because they wanted to hear more and more about our passage today. That was a joke. It landed flat. It's fine. I'm going to throw a lot of those out there today to kind of help lighten the mood. Um, here's some more of those key words that you're going to learn today that you can either share and have really great friends who think amazingly of you or people who are like, well, I'm never talking to you again. You ready? Amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, dispensation, non-dispensation. We're going to cover every view today in our sermon. Not really. But we're going to look at and understand that there are different perspectives of this chapter. And all of these different stances, all those big words I just shared with you, all of those are stances of the end times. How the church will be, how the world will be, and what will occur in the end. And all of those stances, they all talk about a person's perspective of when Jesus is going to return, how he's going to return, like what it's really going to look like, in what condition or state that the church will be when he returns, and what condition or state that the world will be when he returns. All of them are all based on this one very simple principle. Jesus will return. If you leave with anything today, leave with that. I had a lady walk out today. Hey, Jesus will return. I was like, oh, you paid attention. It's perfect, right? Jesus will return. Remember that as we go through this today. He's coming back and we're not going to know when it happens. We're not going to have the day, time, hour, minute, second to say, hey, this is when it's going to happen. We can be ready for this one exact moment. All we know is that it is going to happen. Later in Matthew 24, you'll see Jesus talk further with his disciples, and he uses the story of Noah to say, hey, just like in the time of Noah, when the flood was foretold and the flood came, the people did not know. He also goes further at the end of Matthew 24, and he says, and if you know that someone's coming to your home, what do you do? Do you sit there and watch the door, or do you make preparations? As followers of Jesus, our hope is that you would make preparations. 
that you would be living today, knowing that Jesus is going to return in the future, that you would be living today with that truth, that you would be proactive, that you would be moving things forward, that you would be on mission in your uh, discipleship and in your followership of Jesus. And that's what we do when we gather here on Sundays. When we sing, we're talking about Jesus. When we uh, worship together, when we pray together, it's all pointed towards how do we continue to become more and more like him and as we recognize the day that he is going to return. So Matthew 24, starting at verse 39 or 29, we're gonna see a couple of key principles, right? One, the very first one is kind of a simple one. Israel is judged. Now, let's talk about Israel for a moment, because this is a significant aspect, a significant component of all of the end time perspectives. And the reason for that is because Israel, they're God chosen, they are God's chosen people. We know that Israel was set apart in the Old Testament. We see that happen over and over again. God pulls his people. He says, you will be my people. You will be called Israel. I will be with you. You are my people. We see God uh, make covenants with his people and say, I will be with you through all of these things. We see God deliver his people from multiple different trials and tribulations. We see God establish his people in new places. You will go and you will be my people in this place. You will take over this place and you will be my people here in this place. We see God also um, deal with the disobedience of his people. We see God deal with the rejection that his people have towards him. We see God's people, we see Israel reject God, abandon God. And then we see centuries of silence where there's no word from the Lord. There's no direction given to his people. There's nothing. If you have your Bible, if you go to the very beginning of Matthew, see if I can find it here. You go to the very beginning of Matthew, there's a blank page that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. This blank page, you know what this is? Silence. And it's not silence for a day. It's not silence for a week or a month or a year. It's silence for about 400 years where the people of God heard nothing from him. And it wasn't as if the people of God were perfect in, their, in the way that they followed God. It wasn't as if the people of God were like, hey, we've done everything right. Why are you not speaking to us? More so than not, in their disobedience and in their choosing to rebel against God, there was a silence from him. But, but, God knew that this would happen. God knew that this would come to pass. So, and he also knows that Israel will be judged for the way in which they chose to operate and the way in which they chose to respond to God. They will be judged, just like you and I are judged. Think about that for a moment. Think about the people of Israel. Think about their story, how God constantly delivers them from trials and tribulations. And the people are grateful for a moment. And then in the next moment, they disobey God and they choose to go about their own way. If you're a parent, you want to see that lived out? Look at your kids. You provide for them, you give them all those things that they need or say that they want. And then yet in the next moment, they turn on you and they say, you're the worst parent ever. I didn't get a Nintendo Switch. How dare you? 
right? What about you? In your relationship with Jesus, have there been things that he has called you to? Have there been things that he has asked you and told you to do? And in that moment, maybe for a moment you obeyed, but then in the next, you disobeyed. And is he still there with you? He is. If, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we can be just like the people of Israel. We can say that we follow God. We can say that we obey God. We can say that we desire to do all the things of God. But in reality, when push comes to shove, we back down and we choose to go our own way. Because of that, there is a judgment that comes. Because of that, there is a judgment that will be there. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. These words, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, his closest group, okay? Again, remember the picture. They're on the hillside. They're looking at Jerusalem and he shares these words with him. But guess what? These words are not Jesus's words. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah because Isaiah was giving prophecy in his day and time, was giving prophecy about the end of time. The separation between Isaiah and Jesus, again, it's several hundred years. Jesus is quoting this to his disciples who were all converted Jews, so they would have known the story, they would have heard of the prophecy because another part of Isaiah's prophecy dealt with the coming deliverer and the coming Messiah. It was prophetic, it was a prophecy. Let's pause here for a moment, let's talk about that word prophecy, because for some people, they get a little tense. Oh, he's talking about prophecy, this could be a little weird, right? Most of the time, because when you think about a prophet or somebody who speaks a prophecy, it kind of elicits all sorts of strange images in your mind. And why is it that some people seem to be drawn towards prophecy? Why is it that some people seem to be drawn towards, I wanna to know what all the prophecies are in the Bible because I wanna understand them in detail. I really want to become a student of prophecy. Why is that? Why do people like that? Honestly, I think for a lot of people, it's a feeling of control. If you know what something's going to look like in the future, you feel like you've got a handle on what's about to come, and it makes you feel a lot better, right? Let's make it a little bit more close to home. On January 19th, there were a lot of people really nervous about what the next day was going to bring because they didn't know what it was gonna look like. We're all still here, right? Right, four years from now, people are gonna be thinking on January 19th in four years, what is the next day going to hold? What is this going to look like? We don't really know. We wanna have a sense of control. We wanna have a sense of ownership of things because it makes us feel better about the way that we live our lives. Another illustration, my wife and I just started a home renovation project. And um, you can pray for us. Um, and we're starting out this project, and my wife has primarily been the point person for this. She's envisioned this space. She's looked at this space. She's talked with contractors and designers to say, what, is, what can this really look like? How can it be? How can it come to fruition? And I've been kind of like the supportive husband, like you should always be. And I've just said, yeah, whatever you'd like. Yeah, yeah, go for it, right? The one laugh. Uh, it's so, <laughs> it's not my wife. So we're, we're, we're in, uh, jumping in on this project, and it wasn't until I got some drawings. It wasn't until I got some renderings of what the space could look like that I began to get excited, that I began to say, huh, 
this thing could look really cool. I'm okay with this. This is going to be really good. Now, I think we're wise enough to know that just because we have detailed plans and we have detailed pictures and everything looks really nice on paper, we're wise enough to know that any kind of home reno project is not going to come to fruition 100% of the time. Because there's always an assumption when you renovate a place that the stuff that's pre-existing is in ideal condition. There's always an assumption that people tend to have that, hey, everything will be fine because this will be completely fine. I ripped a wall down yesterday. Things are not completely fine in my house right now. And that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to flex a little bit to say, hey, I see the detail and I'm going to own the detail, but I also need to recognize that there needs to be a little bit of flexibility here. Because if I can detail everything out in black and white, if I can put God in a box and describe every single thing that he is going to do, guess what happens to God? He becomes about this small. Because I can define every detail of who he is. Can you do that? Is that the kind of God that we serve? No, that is not the God that we serve. Our God has a mystery about him. Our God has complexity and intricacy about him, which is why we have to be students of God's word because it helps us to see to some degree who he really is. And even if we grasp some concept of him from this book, guess what? It's not the full picture. There's still so much more that we have yet to see about who he is. And we get to see it one day. What's another truth that we find from Matthew 24? Jesus is enthroned. Look at verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all of the tribes of Israel will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's giving them some clues about what things will look like. And again, Jesus is not using his own words. He is quoting another prophet. He's quoting Daniel. Let me read to you the full context of what Jesus just referenced. Let me give you the full detail and context of what Daniel said when he used some of this language. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7, starting at verses verses 9 through 13. As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, pause right here, Ancient of Days equals God Almighty, okay, unpause. The Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. I hope you've got a vision in your mind right now. That's not in the text. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. Pause right there. Daniel had a dream and there's these horns that were speaking to him. I don't understand that. And Daniel's interpreting what this dream is all about. Okay, unpause. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Pause right here. I want you to think about Jesus now as I read this next few verses. In my vision at night, I looked 
and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This king, this son of man is who? It's Jesus. Have you ever heard people say, I'm dating Jesus right now? Have you ever heard people say, Jesus is my homeboy? Have you ever heard people say, Jesus was a great philosopher and teacher? Have you ever heard people say, Jesus is my best friend? The sentiment behind those things, the sentiment behind those statements, okay, I can give like you desire to be with him. That's awesome. But Jesus is your king. He's your king. He was just in front of a flaming throne with fire coming out from underneath it, I guess. And this king, who now has dominion over all things, knows your name. I know your name. I know every detail about your life. I know exactly what you're thinking in this moment. And I love you. I need to show you some things. I need to teach you some things about what not to do because in your unholiness, you are not acting, you're not imitating me. And I want you to. And as your king, guess what I'm gonna do as well? As your king, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sacrifice myself and I'm gonna be judged. Because the ancient of days, God Almighty looks at you and sees sin and says, I cannot be around sin. I cannot even let the smallest speck of it close to me because then it interrupts who I actually am. And the king says, I will go and lay myself down. And the ancient of days will judge me and cast all of his judgment and wrath upon me for your sake. Not because you're so amazing, not because you're so great at what you do, not because of who you potentially could be, but because I'm so great and my love for you is beyond comprehension of your small, feeble mind. I'm your king and I love you. Follow me. Jesus is enthroned, y'all. Jesus is our king now. He doesn't live in our shirt pocket where we pull him out whenever we have to look nice in front of other people. Oh, there's some church people. I've got to pull them out and say, oh, Jesus loves you, WWJD, right? Jesus is our king. If he's your king, then what that means is it impacts the way that you live. It impacts the way that you make decisions about your family. It makes, impact. It makes an impact on the way that you make decisions about your vocation, your career. It makes an impact on the way and where you choose to live and how you choose to live. It makes an impact on how and what you do with your money. It makes an impact on how and what you do with relationships with other people. It should impact every single aspect of your life if he is truly your king. There's a great, uh, uh, excuse me, there's a great author out there, C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was a great literary poet, uh, writer, scholar who also happened to be a Christian, okay? 
He wrote a wonderful children's series called The Chronicles of Narnia. Most of you have probably read it. Maybe you've seen some of the movies. And he's got a character in there of Aslan. And there's a scene that happens when Lucy, is one of the characters, discovers who this Aslan is that people have been talking about. And she's learning it from a beaver. I didn't write the story. He did. All right? He's learning about it from a beaver. And listen to the interaction. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. He's the lion. A great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus, is Jesus safe? It's one of those hard struggles because we want you to know Jesus. We don't want you to be afraid of Jesus, but guess what, y'all? Jesus isn't safe. You can't put him in your box and define everything of what he does, but Jesus is good. And he's your king. He's my king. Let's keep going. So we need to recognize this, that there are centuries of dissertations, studies, debates, conversations regarding the end time. And all of this, again, goes back to this reality that Jesus, our king, is coming back. Jesus, our king, will return. Jesus, our king, is going to be back here with us. If we believe in God's word, if we know that Jesus is our king, how is that impacting the way that we live today? Look at verse 31. We're going to see some more of what Jesus is telling his disciples of what's going to happen in this time. He will send out angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Right? Here's a few quick things about some of the things you see in this verse. The first is uh, the four winds. Okay? Think northeast, southwest. Okay? That means all four corners of the globe. Okay? The elect, those who follow Jesus, those who are called by God, those who are God's people, not just ethnic Jews, but those who are called by God who follow Jesus, right? All of them will come from all over the world. Think about that for a moment. Every believer, whether they're in Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, Antarctica, if anybody's living there, which I don't think they do, um, North America, South America, from all over the globe, people are going to come together at the sound of the trumpet. What does that mean? It means that the gospel of Jesus is everywhere. The gospel is global. As the church, we have got to constantly challenge ourselves and be reminded of the fact that our faith is not in our faith is not in our nation. Our faith is not in the country that, where we live, though a blessing it is that we live here. Our faith is in Jesus. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, that he reconciles all men to God Almighty through his own sacrifice, and you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, that's the good news, and people all over the world have heard it and know about it. But not everyone and not yet. So if we're followers of Jesus, if we live under his kingship, if we choose to see him and we recognize that all the believers will be gathered at the end from all around the world, what should we go and do? Let's think about what Jesus said to his disciples right before he left this earth. What did he tell them to go do? Go into only America? Go into all the world. Thank you, brother. Go into all the world and teach them who I am. 
Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And listen, I will be with you through it all. As followers of Jesus, we don't have the luxury to sit and look at the door and try to guess when Jesus is coming back. What we need to do is we need to be living on mission. Maybe your mission is in your workplace. How do I go to work with this on-mission mindset where I can share the good news with people and the way that I operate my business and the way that I do dealings with other businessmen and women? How do I live on mission in my neighborhood? How do I see my neighbors? How do I understand and engage with them for a purpose? How do I, how do I uh, parent? How do I parent on mission? Rather than just assume my kid is going to be fine. How do you have an intentionality and a strategy to say, I want my kids to know this King Jesus. I want my kids to know what this book has to say. How do I get to that place? Because Jesus is returning. And we need to be ready. We need to be living our lives in such a way that we're not just sitting and waiting, but that we're actively moving forward. Actively moving forward. Look at verses 32 through 35. Again, Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. From the fig tree, I want you to learn this lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that it is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There may be things that we can see that elude themselves to something must be happening, something must be brewing in this world. Maybe Jesus is coming back. But through it all, what we have to do is recognize that we know he will return. How are we living for that day when he actually does? How are we living for that day? If you have more questions about these things, if you have more questions about what does all this really entail and what is the depths of God's mysteries here in this, there are multitude upon multitude of resources that we can supply, that we can give to you in order to help you as you study this eschatology, as you kind of dive into this. But recognize this very, very clearly. As followers of Jesus, you are called to recognize that he's your king, that your life submits to him in all areas of, of your life, and that one day he will come back, and one day all things will be made new, and we will be with him for eternity. That's why we do what we do. That's why we preach Jesus. That's why we look at his word and we say, we want to be faithful to your word as best as we're able to in our feeble human minds. And if we do that, if we're in community together, if we're on mission together, Jesus constantly will begin to reveal himself to you over and over and over again. I am your king. I'm not safe, but I'm good. And I love you so very much.